Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is Connecting Some Dots, Mark 10, 1-12, Part 2. Part two. If you missed last week, get the CD or go on the podcast site because this passage, we talked about divorce and remarriage and we really stressed God's mercy and grace and starting now. And, uh, you know, I know all of us have been touched by marriage struggles or divorce in some way, but listen to the whole thing because it really is stressed starting right where you are now by God's mercy and God's grace. It's a vital topic, this passage. That's why I'm taking a second week, as you're going to see. Half of all marriages in our, in our country end in divorce. Two out of three remarriages end in divorce. History lesson. No civilization has ever survived the breakdown of marriage in the family. For those who have done any history, you can study it. Especially Rome is a classic example when the institution of marriage begins to crumble or is messed with, that is a sign of a moral fall and a moral messing up that, that will shake the foundations of any society, and it's happening in our country. It started in the, in the 70s in the USA with a sexual revolution, and then sex outside of marriage became accepted, and divorce was accepted, totally accepted now. More than half, today, what the result is more than half of all couples live together before they get married, married. Half of children today are born out of wedlock. They're born to unmarried couples. Not only that, half of all children in our country live with divorce. And every study has found that children who go, children of divorce, so many detrimental things. It hurts kids in so, so many ways. And speaking of kids, with the whole dating thing, dating itself the American dating culture prepares children for divorce. What do they do? Teenagers, what do they do? They date somebody, they have sex with them, they break up with them. They date somebody, they have sex with them, they break up with them. And that's, that's preparing people not for marriage, that's prepare, preparing people for divorce. And now we've reached a tipping point with this whole thing with, with the homosexual marriage, with gay marriage. If you look at Romans 1 and the progression of Romans 1, and, and speaking of Rome, we see many, many parallels between the USA and what happened in Rome. But even Romans 1 and the progression, we're seeing it happen. Some things might be hard for you to hear, but I'm asking you to hear me out before you check out of what I'm going to say, okay? Let's pray. Father, we pray for each person here. As we struggle in marriage or in our remarriage, or in maybe we're younger and we've struggled with the, the damage of the effects, the wounds because of that. But we also know the effect of what turning away from your plan for marriage has been, the effect on our country. And I pray that as we're bombarded with so many lies, so many anti-Christian lies, so many anti-biblical lies every day, pray that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and minds and our eyes today to your truth, and that your Holy Spirit would offset this brainwashing that has happened in our culture, convicting us, strengthening us, teaching us faith and faithfulness. We pray for your mercy and grace for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's read the passage again. We did it last week, Mark 10, 1 to 12. We're going to do the part two today, but then Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea across from the Jordan. 
Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, he replied. They said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. So, once again, last week we talked about the marriage and and remarriage. And I want to encourage you to listen to the podcast or CD on that. Because uh, we really stress God's mercy and grace and, and how to overcome the wounds of that. But I want to look at part two today, and that is implications for the United States today, USA Today. And there's three main things that jumped out at me with our culture as I was studying the passage last week. The first one is the quote that he gives from Genesis 1.27. Jesus quotes Genesis 1.27 when he talks about creation. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. And God created us male and female. And at the end of creation, what did God say? It is good. It is good. Being created male and female, it was a good thing. God made us male and female for each other, for marriage, for the enjoyment of each other, and for procreation, for children. God's word confirms for us what natural law makes very, very obvious. And all throughout the Bible, this is stressed. In fact, God takes this very, very serious. Go back to Deuteronomy 22.5 to just give another example of this. When God says here, a man must not wear men's clothing. I'm sorry, a woman must not wear men's clothing, nor a man wear women's clothing. For the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. Very, very serious. But in the USA today, many people reject God's word on this. There's something called the transgender movement. The transgender movement. You can't miss it. If you were in New Hope yesterday, yesterday, you you couldn't miss it. And it's resulting in some very troubling, confusing teachings that go completely against God's word. And the idea out there now, and the teaching out there, is that you may not be able, you cannot choose your sex, but you can choose your gender. You can't decide your sex. You're born with that sex, male or female, but you can decide your gender. And many people out there, this is the teaching out there, many people out there are trapped in the body of the wrong sex. And you must help them change and find their real self, even getting surgery and, and you know, operating on them to turn them into something different. Schools in, in some states in America already are teaching their teachers, training their teachers. I've got people coming to me and talking to me about how troubled they are by this. They're training them that you cannot call somebody a boy or a girl anymore. You're not allowed to do that because that's pigeonhole, pigeonholing them and, and, and you know, that you can't do it. Restrooms, you're reading the stories, restrooms in some states and schools and, and locker rooms. Take your pick, male or female. What are you today? It's in flux. You can decide what you want to be. It's in flux. And it's sad because these people who are transgender have been wounded in some way. They've been wounded. And there's many complex reasons. I don't want to simplify. I'm going to talk about a lot of 
complex things today. I'm not trying to simplify. I'm just going to give you a couple reason, possible reasons how they've been wounded. There's very, very complex reasons, but they've been wounded in some way, and we have to try to help people who are struggling with this figure out why they have this confusion and help them find their healing. Help them become the man of God they were created to be or the godly woman they were created to be. Help them find their healing. Often, a, a, a common thing, and I help a lot of people with these things, often they, it's because they don't bond or identify with their parents in a proper way. A boy won't bond with her, his dad in the proper way. He'll identify with his mother, and he'll take on the, 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 the feminine identity. That's a very common one. Or a, a young girl doesn't bond with her mother in the proper way. And as a result, she ends up with gender confusion. Or often another common thing is sexual abuse. They've been sexually abused, which has left them confused. There's a lot of complex reasons. Those are just a couple, couple that I've seen is very, very common. The loving thing to do is to help someone heal, not encourage them on in this confusion and just inflict more pain on them ultimately, but help them find the reasons for their wounds and help them find their healing. And, and a couple of things jump out. One is compassion. They don't need to be teased or bullied or made fun of or, or called names. That's the last thing that will help them. They need compassion. And as Christians, in Ephesians 3, it says, speak the truth in love. That's compassion. Speaking the truth in love. To not speak the truth is not compassion. You're just hurting them worse. But, not doing, but talking about this and not having a loving spirit, that's also not right either. We have to speak the truth in love and help them find some Christian counseling, Christian-based counseling to work through this confusion. We have some people right here that, that have found that healing, that have stood up and shared their testimony of struggling with, with their sexuality and their, their gender. And, and you, we, we've had people, if you've been here long enough, you've seen a, a number of people come up and share stories of God, God has healed them. We've seen people li living lives of, we're seeing people living lives of progressive healing, becoming the man or woman of God that God made them to be. Some people stood up here and shared their stories. How when they first came, a guy came in a dress, you know? And by the time they left, they were, when God moved them on to a different place moving, they were leaving as men of God. Beautiful, beautiful stories. Of, of, but they felt, they felt God's love here. They felt like this was a safe place to get their healing. They weren't told a lie that, yeah, keep wearing that dress. Get an operation. They were told, You're, God made you a man, and you can become a man of God. And they were loved here. And I remember one of the guys who stood up in front here, and I remember his story. Some of you were here. He said, when I first came, I purposely came decked out, did my nails, and really came flaming here. And I was just hoping you would reject me so that I could walk out and say, see, they don't care. But the church didn't do that. It helped this, this young man find his, his true identity in Jesus Christ. And he's a man of God today. Still has ups and ups, downs. We all struggle, don't we? But boy, what a difference. That's what we have to have is that compassion. The second thing that jumps out here with the, the gender confusion is the second one is in Genesis 2.24 that Jesus quotes. He also quotes... Genesis 2.24, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. God, from the words of Christ here, quoting Genesis, God created us to live a faithful, 
in a faithful heterosexual marriage, unless we're called to celibacy, which is fine. That's a higher, that's a high calling too in the Bible, but it's a special calling, not higher. They're both high calling, but one, it's a special calling Jesus talked about. But but if not, if you're not called the the celibate lifestyle, a, a singleness, then we are created to live in a faithful heterosexual marriage, and anything else is against God's purpose. It's sin. The Bible makes it clear from the Old Testament to the New Testament that homosexuality is sin. Leviticus 18.22. I'll just read something from the law. Leviticus 18.22. Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That is detestable. All the way up to Romans. Romans 1. People say, well, it's not in the Old Testament. It's not in the New Testament. It's everywhere in the Bible. Romans 1. Don't ever let anybody tell you that lie. It's a lie. Romans 1.24. Therefore, God gave them over to the in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves a due penalty for their perversion. Verse 28, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do it not, not to be done. And if you read Romans 1, you'll see there's a progression. It's not just homosexuality, it's heterosexual sin too, which is the step below, and they keep taking steps further and further to depravity. God doesn't pick on one sexual sin over another. They're all very, very serious. Premarital sex, adultery, homosexuality, Lust itself, pornography, it's, it's self-sex, all very, very serious in God's sight. Anything to do with lust, very, very serious in God's sight. God doesn't pick on one. He, he calls them all sin. And there's a reason their sin is they're not his purpose. They're going to steal our joy. They're going to steal what God has created us. They're going to steal the blessings and the joy and the reason, the, the life that God wants us to live. That's what sin does. It's wrong. But it also steals. It's wrong because it's not his purpose. It's stealing something, God's good purpose. God does not, from this passage here, God does not create anyone as a homosexual. That is the lie of the world. If we struggle with homosexuality, we struggle with that for the same reason we struggle with any other sexual sin. It's because of the fall, the effects of the fallen nature and the sin nature. And... and, and if we struggle with homosexual temptation, it's just like anything. We have to figure out why. Usually someone who's struggling with this has been wounded in some way that has made them very vulnerable to the struggle. There are complex reasons. I'm not going to simplify this. There's no, oh, it's just, there's no one easy answer for why someone struggles with homosexuality. There's complex reasons, but we need to help people find hope in healing. As the body of Christ, we have to help them. Perhaps a couple... Just going to throw out a couple. Perhaps they didn't form, once again, just like with transgender, they didn't form a healthy bond with a same-sex parent, which creates identity confusion. That's a very, very common one. A second one is abuse. One-third of homosexual men were sexually abused as boys. One-third. That's at least 33% of them that weren't born this way, right? 
And you've heard testimonies. People have stood up and said, I lived that life because I was sexually abused. Someone stole my manhood. They messed up my mind. We've heard these testimonies right here in the church. People stood up and, and shared this. And many women, sexually abused too, they were either molested as girls or they were raped. And, and the result is some of them have said, no man will ever touch me again. And it opens the door, obviously. Uh, Others have opened the doors through pornography. Boys, you know, the pornography with, a, with a curiosity, and you know pornography goes crazy places in our culture, or many times girls through an unhealthy emotional attachment. There's nothing wrong with two girls being very, very close, but when they cross the line with that emotional attachment, it can cross into a homosexuality. Lots of complex, these are just a couple, a lot of complex things. Uh, I want to encourage you to read a couple books. One is Homosexuality and the Politics of Truth, Excellent book. It's on our shelf out here. It really helps you understand that people aren't born that way, but there are a lot of reasons why they, they are vulnerable to this. And it's a very, very helpful book for understanding the true causes, the causes struggle. Also, another really good book is An Ounce of Prevention, once again on our shelf out there. An Ounce of Prevention is a very compassionate look on a why especially young people struggle with sexual confusion and how to help them. Not just homosexual, but heterosexual struggles. How, parents, I would encourage every parent to read that book. It's just helping your young, your young people wrestle through these things. Um, also, there's Love One Out Conference, which is tremendous. The Love One Out Conference that, that is put on regularly. We've gone as a church before. We have the CDs and tapes if you want to listen to those. But... What happens is there's a lot of complex reasons. People open the doors different ways, or they're open for us because of the things that happen to us. And then to add gas to the fire, we're told a lie in the United States today. We're told if you have experienced any sexual confusion, you have to be gay. If you struggle with any attraction to someone of the same sex, whether it's sexual or emotional, you must pursue a gay lifestyle. And you're lied to that way. Listen, that is such a lie. You can have very close emotional attachments to someone of the same sex, and it's not sin. David and jo Jonathan, a classic example. But even, even uh, close emotional friendships, that you can have those without crossing the line. It's okay. There's nothing wrong. And even, even having sexual confusion as a, as a teenager or any age, but especially teenagers, mo many teenagers experience some sexual confusion. That's normal with teenagers. It's normal with, with growing up. It's just part of, of, of development. And, and it's, this, that goes for any age. There, it's important to talk to someone. If you struggle with that, don't be ashamed. Talk to somebody. Talk to a trusted Christian friend or a Christian counselor. Or talk to me and I'll connect you with someone you know, that, that you can talk to. If you're embarrassed about it, you know, have someone else ask me for a friend and I'll, I'll get you connected to somebody. There's a lot of people in our church. There's a lot of Christian counselors that we're, we, we are connected with. There's a lot of ways that you can work through that confusion. Don't just bury it or, or, or deny it or bury it or think i got to become something. Talk because you can... It's normal to have some sexual confusion. And it's, and it's okay, and you can work through it, and you can get your healing. And that goes for anybody of any age. There's hope and healing. The one thing I want you to hear today, whether you struggle with homosexual, heterosexual, any kind of struggles, there is hope and healing. Hope and healing. 
There's lots of ways you can get. You've heard many testimonies up front, people who have been worked through struggles with all kinds of sexual struggles. And in our own church, we have the men's purity ministry. We, uh, we have a lot of different ways. There's a harvest ministry, Harvest USA, where, you, in fact, you're coming to speak here in another month. Harvest USA can help if you're a, a parent or a, a teenager or any age. There's, there's a plenty of help with that. I just want to encourage you to get the healing and get the help you need. There is hope for healing and God's word promises it. Don't buy the lie. God's word promises the healing. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That, this covers it all. But that can be what we were. Once we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are not that anymore. And we progressively get our freedom. And, and we shouldn't live like this. Anything on that list, we shouldn't live that way. And if we do, there should be a deep conviction and we should be convicted and, and, and moving forward. If there's no conviction, maybe we aren't in the kingdom of God here, right? So anyway, the point is, don't buy the lie. That can be what you were, even with homosexuality. Any kind of sexual struggle, that could be what we were. That's what some of you were. But we were washed, sanctified, justified. There's hope for healing. One more key from Genesis 2.24. Back to Genesis 2.24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Marriage has the sanctity of marriage. Marriage has been ordained by God. One man, one woman married. No matter what the Supreme Court decides soon, the true Supreme Court has already ruled on it. And that you can that the only marriage that God will recognize in heaven at his throne is between a husband and a wife. And I believe that the effort to establish gay marriage is Satan's attempt to destroy the family and destroy marriages. And it's going to end up destroying our country. That's the, the real goal by Satan through this whole movement is to overturn God's plan for marriage and families. And it's going to open some doors to insanity. Polygamy, they're already starting to file some lawsuits for polygamy and group marriages and much, much worse. In fact, if you read Roman history, I've read a lot of Roman history, you can see the parallels with our country with Rome and see what's happening. And I don't even want to tell you where it's headed. Where Rome ended up, right, following along the steps, step, 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 where Rome ended up and where we're headed, I don't even want to, I couldn't even say it up here up front. It's so disgusting. But that's where we're headed. You don't believe it? Look where we were 10 years ago. Look where we were 20 years ago. Look where life was like in the United States when you were born. But if marriage and our country are going to be saved, it's up to the church. It's up to the church. We need to pray. We need to try to elect godly people. We need to send our emails. We need to take action. We've got to do all that. But I'm going to shock some of you. The real way to save marriage, the real, real way to save our country and to save our, our marriage in our country is going to take a lot more because if that's all we do, it's not going to do a thing. If that's all we do, 
take political action and pray and, I mean, prayer is very important, but, but if we just pray and take political action, that's not going to be enough. The most important thing we can do is stay married. The most important thing we can do is stay married. Listen, even if gay marriage is legalized, the homosexual community only makes up 1% to 2% of our population. And they're not all going to get married. Most of them don't have any intention of ever getting married. So 1% maybe getting married is not going to destroy our country. You know what's really destroying our country? It's the 50% of the heterosexuals that are getting divorced. If we want to save marriage, we have to stop getting divorced. We have to stay married. And it starts with the church. The church has a 50% divorce rate. Think about it. If we want to save marriage, that 1%, the gay thing, you know, okay, you know, the homosexual marriage, that's important. It is because it's foundational. But that's dwarfed by the divorce in the church of Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying this to make anybody feel bad. I've talked to all of you about your past and prayed through stuff, and I'm not trying to bring up stuff. I'm saying right now, right where you are, stay married. The church has to stay married. We treat marriage in the American church, evangelical church, like it's breaking up after the prom. Don't we? It's unbelievable. In pastors, there's no church discipline. There's no confrontation. There's no speaking the truth in love. There's nothing. If someone gets mad here, they just walk off to another church and they're accepted with whatever. It's unbelievable. We, if we want to save marriage, the church has to be the church. If half of the country, let's just say half the country claims to be serious Christian, if just half the country stops getting divorced, think about what that will do. That's how we save marriage, by following God's word. Do you want to save marriage in the USA today? Do you want to protect your family? Then protect your family by saving your marriage, by protecting your own marriage. Put your marriage as a priority. Put your family first. How is God speaking to us? Maybe it's about our marriage. Listen, no matter what happened in the past, Start now. Start right now. Digging it up isn't going to solve it. We've got to confess some things to God for sure. But, but let's not go back digging things. Let's start now. And depend on God's mercy and grace. Mercy and grace to love our spouse and to raise godly kids. Start now. Malachi 2. Malachi 2.16 says this. God, this is God talking. He says, I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. He hates it. Why? And what's the whole point of that? Back up to verse 15, raising the godly family. Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. That's a good one to memorize, isn't it? Protect your marriage, whatever it takes. Guard yourself in your spirit. Once again, whatever happened in the past, start now. 
Stay married by God's mercy and grace. And not just stay married, but have a godly marriage. A strong, godly marriage. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling with gender confusion. Once again, I want to encourage you, if you're struggling with that gender confusion, talk to somebody. Talk to me. Send someone to talk to me and I'll, I'll get you some help. We'll, we'll, I, we will con- connect you with heal- someone who can help you find healing. Just as many people in our church have found healing. For many different things. We'll help you find that healing. But we'll, we'll help you become the man of God or the godly woman that God created you to be. Maybe you're here and you're struggling with homosexual temptation. It's okay. <laughs> we all struggle with some kind of temptation. All of us do. And homosexual temptation is no worse than heterosexual temptation is no worse than being a drunkard, a liar. You go down that list in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. In fact, let's read that again. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. Look at this list. And I, we probably could add, I could add a few things to this list myself, right? And it says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Does whatever, there's no, none of those are worse. Nothing is at the front, front of the list. They're all the same. Our sins are all very, very serious. They're the same, but we have hope. We can all be set free. We can get our hope and our healing for anything. Talk to me. Talk to someone. Get your healing. There's help for healing here. And it's not just homosexual, heterosexual. There's all kinds of sexual struggles. We all face the same thing. We all have to deal with it the same way. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 talks about how we handle our struggles and our temptations. Get your counseling, get your healing, but every day it takes this. Hebrews 4, 14 says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have... This is powerful. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every day, every hour, every minute, Every second, coming to the throne of God and saying, God, mercy and grace. Mercy is, forgive me for what I've done in grace. Help me not to do it again. And you're going to pray this constantly. It's not one prayer. It's every day, constantly, constantly. We're going to keep messing up and slipping up. But the way we make that progressive victory, the way we get our progressive healing is by the more we come to God's throne of grace and asking for that mercy and grace. God, please forgive me for what I just did, what I just thought, what I'm tempted to do. Forgive me. Help me. Give me grace. Mercy and grace. We keep doing that. And that is the difference. That's the power. That's when the Holy Spirit starts to really transform our lives and our minds and our hearts. Very, very important. But the first step is coming to God for his mercy. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you ever come to that throne and said, God, forgive me. 
giving our life to Jesus Christ, putting our faith in him. He died on that cross in our place. He died on a cross and took our punishment, our sin on himself so that we could be forgiven for whatever we've done. And we need to come to him and ask for that mercy and put our faith in his son Jesus. And when we do that, he gives us a brand new life in Christ. Have you taken that step of faith? And if you've taken that step of faith, are we coming to him every day for that mercy and grace? It's not a one time. We constantly need his mercy and grace. Are we depending on him daily? No matter how bad we mess up. Listen, we all mess up a lot, don't we? No matter how bad we mess up, no matter what we've done, come to him for his mercy and grace. He doesn't say, wait till you clean yourself up. He says, come when we're messing up. Right after we messed up. And then we'll start to come just before we mess up. We start doing better and better. That's the idea behind it. Coming for his mercy and grace. We all need it. Let's pray. As we come to God to pray right now, as we come before his throne of mercy, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian yet. You've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never asked for forgiveness. sin you've never been given a brand new life in Jesus Christ today can be that day you can come right before God's throne through his son Jesus who died for us who's made a way for us to his father to forgiveness to a brand new life because he's paid for our sin He took it on the cross. It was nailed to the cross. He shed his blood for us to wash us. You can come to the throne right now and give your life to Jesus Christ. In your heart, talk to God. Just say, God, I ask you to forgive my sin. I repent of it. I don't want to live like this anymore. I ask you to forgive my sin. I'm putting my faith in your son Jesus who died for me, who came alive for me. I'm putting my faith in your son Jesus And I give my life to you, God. Now that you've forgiven me and I've put my faith in Jesus, I'm giving my life to you. If you've prayed that prayer or if you do pray that prayer, something amazing has just happened. You're in for the shock of your life. The Holy Spirit is living inside of you and you will never live the same again. You will never enjoy sin again. Thank you, God. You can never find fulfillment from that garbage again. You can only find it through your relationship with God as your father now. And he wants you to be close to him. And I want to encourage you to let somebody know you've prayed that prayer and given your life to Jesus. Let somebody know 
maybe you came with a family member or a friend, tell me somehow, tell me on the way out, text, call, something. Let somebody know so that we can encourage you and be excited for you in your new life in Jesus Christ. For those of us who have already put our faith in Christ, how is the Holy Spirit convicting us today? What in our life do we need to take before the throne of God and ask for mercy and grace? Maybe it's something we've done that we haven't confessed to him yet, that we need to come before God and say, God, please forgive me for, for what I've done or thought or said. Please give me the grace not to do it again. Maybe it's something we're tempted to do. Maybe we're struggling with confusion. Maybe we're struggling with some kind of sexual sin. Maybe we're struggling, well, we're all struggling with something, aren't we? But what, what is God putting on our heart that we need to learn to live by God's mercy and grace every day, all day long, every minute coming before him and saying, God, mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. I know I can only become like Jesus and live the life he's called me to live and created me to live if I live by your mercy and grace. Father, I pray that if everyone here doesn't remember anything else they heard this morning, they will remember two words, mercy and grace. And I pray that your mercy and grace would set us free, would transform us, would fill us with your Holy Spirit's power. And we would know you in a whole new way, sitting on the throne before us, the throne of grace before us. We would know you in a whole new way because we are receiving your mercy and grace. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.